0: Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. Tony, the jersey that Diego Maradona wore for his hand of God gold, sold for $9 million.
1: I'm Tony Kornheiser. I overpaid. It's way too tight. It's like 5'5". Five five. I don't know why I bought it and tried
0: to put it on. Idiotic. You know what? You can just go out, buy one, get a fake signature, put it in a frame on your wall. And just tell people you wanted an auction. You, you outbid on $9 yeah. million? Dollars? Seriously?
1: For $9 million, you ought to buy one and get one free. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Welcome to PTI, boys and girls. In today's episode, the Celtics bounce back. Dusty Baker wins his 2,000th game, and the NCAA goes after boosters. But we begin today with Warriors coach Steve Kerr saying last night that Memphis' Dylan Brooks, quote, broke the code. And committed a, quote, dirty foul when Brooks swatted at Gary Payton II, which resulted in a hard fall and a broken elbow, and Payton is out indefinitely. Wilbon, well, do you agree that Brooks broke the code, and what does this injury mean for the rest of the series, considering Payton was often the primary defender on
0: John Morant? Yeah, Tone, I, I, I didn't waste—I didn't spend much time last night when I was watching this on breaking the code. I did text—I was texting, as I often do, at night, with former players who been, I've been friendly with for decades— and yes, they agreed with that. That they, like that. Then you move on from that. I mean, he, he broke Gary Payton's elbow. I mean, this is what he broke. That's the significant break here. It was a dirty play. And I talk to people who don't think that Dylan Brooks, in his short history, is a dirty player, but he committed what a lot of people said was a dirty play. Everybody said. And so now you have a situation where you're looking at a John Morant, who could score. You know, John Morant may score 60 points in a playoff game. I mean, he's that great. He's that spectacular. He's that unstoppable. Gary Payton Jr. is the guy that Golden State has who is the most likely, the best equipped to get in front of him and stay in front of him a few possessions, to go up with him, to elevate and stay up in the air with him. I mean, Gary Payton Jr. is that guy. Gary Payton Jr. has some of what his dad had, which is all-time great defensive greatness. Not as consistently as his Hall of Fame father, But he can do this, and you need to stop John. Not stop him, but if he had 40 last night instead of 47, then, you know, maybe Golden State wins a game. So this is a serious injury and a serious absence and a great offense.
1: Yeah. So I don't really know what it means to break the code. I gather it's somewhere in the area of, you know, risking injury and even putting a guy's career in jeopardy. Yes. Did I think it was a dirty play? Yes. Did I think there was malicious intent? I'm not sure. What I am sure of is exactly what you are saying, that he's best to squeeze out now, so he can't guard John ja Morant. But you know what? I don't know that anybody can guard John ja Morant successfully. I'm not sure that's true. What I find interesting about this, Mike, is I think this goes back to what happened in Game 1 with Draymond Green. Draymond Green, we both agreed, did not deserve a flagrant two, but was right. given a flagrant two. After that, and I want to get all the names right here, uh, Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark said after the game, that's who he is. That's what we expect from him. And in response, Draymond Green said, nobody's going to tell me how to play. I'll play the way I want to play. And to me, that heightened all the tensions. And I think it maybe supercharged um, Memphis's players physically and made them defensive. And I think it led directly to this kind of thing. And I'll say this, Mike. I think Adam Silver may want to make a phone call to both these teams yeah. before game three because yeah. you yeah, don't want so this to
0: get out of him. I agree with you that this went back to like 1980s. I mean, you and I have seen plenty of these kinds of playoff exchanges and we thought it was over because the league, like the NFL said about player safety and conversation, we, we can't have this. We don't want this. The NHL has said this to a degree. And so this has kind of been scrubbed from all the team sports, no matter how supercharged a playoff series is. And now, Tone, you got this again. And I think Adam Silver may have to get involved. You can't can't have this anymore. I know you could have it in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and guys fought like crazy in the 60s, our heroes. You can't have it now. You can't. Let's move to the NCAA's plan to slow down some of the name, image, and likeness money machine. Sports Illustrated reports that the NCAA plans to clarify that boosters and booster-led collectives are prohibited from involvement in recruiting said one official, quote, we let things get out of hand, close quote. Tony, is getting boosters out of the recruiting process good for college sports? And is that even possible? So coincidentally, on my
1: podcast this morning, I had Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. And one of the things that Pat covers, of course, is college athletics. And we were talking about how it's the Wild West out there now. And it's the reason it's the Wild West, because of the NCAA. The NCAA, for years refuse to pay athletes on any level. They tried to stonewall this up until the point that state legislatures passed laws allowing name, image, and likeness, and the NCAA had nothing to do but get out of the way. And as Pat Forty says, when the dam breaks, you can't control the waters. You just can't, not for a long time. Boosters are actively recruiting athletes. They are waving checkbooks in the air at this point, and athletes are going to stand there and try and catch the money. Who didn't expect this, Mike?
0: Exactly who did not expect this to happen? Well, Tony, you're right on everything you said. And let me, let me go f- way further. I- I'm a booster, okay? A season ticket holder and a booster. The NCAA can't stop me from doing anything. The NCAA can't stop a whole lot of richer people from doing anything, from contacting the players, from creating name, image, and likeness laboratories to which to attract these players. The NCAA, as I've said this years ago, and I'm sorry because the reference is outdated now, they're Barney Fife. They're out there, Tony, just looking at the cars go by at 150 miles an hour. They have no idea what they're saying. They're fools. The notion that they can stop it or slow it is idiotic. And this is why the NCAA is irrelevant. And boosters, let me say again, I'm one of them. We treat the NCAA like they are just non existent. The NCAA is not gonna do squat, it's an empty threat. Nobody's gonna pay attention, not the schools, the boosters, the athletes, or the parents.
1: It's not even that. It's not what they aren't gonna do. They shouldn't be allowed to do anything. They created this mess. People are out there now recruiting high school kids, they're recruiting through the transfer portal. And kids are going to lose loyalty to schools, certainly, even to coaches, because they're going to go where the money is. We have chaos now. This is the new normal now. There will be a market correction. But not tonight, kids. Not tonight. We move on. it's the market. Not the NCAA. That's right. The market will correct it. You're right. Yes. Dusty Baker became the 12th manager to reach 2,000 wins when the Astros beat the Mariners last night. Baker has managed five different teams, the Giants, the Cubs, the Reds, the Nationals, and the Astros. He's never won the World Series, but he has won division titles and gone to the playoffs with all of
0: those teams. Well, Wilbon, how important is 2,000 wins? It's not important at all. And let me tie this to something specific that I saw last night. I don't know, maybe on multiple networks about the crawl. Dusty Baker becomes the first black manager to win 2,000 games, and it angered me. I'm going to go back to a day you and I sat shoulder to shoulder in New Orleans in 1982 when Big John Thompson was on the verge of becoming the first. He didn't win that game, but he was asked about this. He was on the verge of becoming the first African-American coach to win a national championship in college basketball. And Big John said, I'm going to attack the question, not you, because the question presumes that there were no black coaches before me who could have won the national championship. When all, the, the only fact here is they were not allowed the chance to win this many games in Dusty Baker's case or the national championship in Big John's case. That's all it is. Isn't that like Frank Robinson couldn't have won 2,000 games? So the notion that all we do now is keep score, that we can't tell any narrative without tying it to numbers, that people aren't even smart enough to look at the issue and discuss whatever it is you want to discuss about Dusty Baker's worthiness. His greatness as a manager over a long, long period of time. No, we got to tie it to some stupid number. And as you can tell, it angers me greatly.
1: So let me give people the list of everybody from, you know, before Dusty Baker. There's Connie Mack, Tony LaRussa, John McGraw, Bobby Cox, Joe Torrey, Sparky Anderson, Bucky Harris, Joe McCarthy, Walter Alston, Leo DeRocher, Bruce boschi and Dusty. All of them are in the Hall of Fame now except Boshi because he's not eligible yet and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And Dusty Baker needs to be in the Hall of Fame. By the way, he, won, he played 19 years in the majors. He won a World Series as a player, player. with the Dodgers yeah. in 1981. He's been a wonderful manager. There are a lot of people who haven't necessarily won the ring. He's got to be in the Hall of Fame. What he's done at Houston, which was a dumpster fire... To go in there yep. and calm the waters after they fired AJ Hinch and everybody hated the Astros, to bring them to the World Series, to become the face of that team, t- it, to a degree, as far as I'm concerned, he's done a great Tremendous. job, and we're both happy. Tremendous. For him. We're both we. He managed our But we our don't teams. need to tie he it to two thousand Nets.
0: No. We don't I need to tie Nets. it to a stupid phony number. Stop it. No, you're right. Let's take a break. Coming
1: up with Boston back on track after beating Milwaukee last night. We're going to ask Kendrick Perkins.
0: Two generations of people that can't tell a story about the stupid numbers. We'll also ask him whether he's ever seen a fall-off like the one James Harden appears to be in right now. Numbers, By the way, let's make with, up some Dusty, numbers.
1: with all of those players, the only better player on that list is Joe Torre.
2: Uninterrupted listening, so no more cliffhangers. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free, top podcasts, so we know they definitely have something for you. And it's already included in your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash PTI. That's Amazon.com slash PTI to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
3: Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person.
1: Let's get back into the NBA playoffs with our best friend in the whole wide world, Kendrick Perkins. And we're going to start with Steve Kerr and what he said last night. And I will ask you, did Dylan Brooks break the code when he fouled Gary Payton II?
2: Yes. Not only did he break the code, he was was out of line. He crossed the line. Look. You cannot do that. That play cannot happen if you're Dylan Brooks. And a lot of people out here are in denial saying he didn't do it with intentions. It wasn't intentional. Yes, it was. He fouled him on purpose with the mindset of I got to make sure that he feel me. And with that being said, he needs to be suspended for game three and possibly game four. Like, you can't do that. He broke the code We know what what coaches and what we preach in that film room when we're going over plays and talking about personnel, et cetera, et cetera. And that is one point that we bring up. When a guy is in the air on a fast break and you have no chance to to actually make a play on the ball and foul them, then you let them go.
0: Herc, we're going to move to something a little closer to home for you, and that is your former team, the one you won a championship with the Boston Celtics. They beat Milwaukee pretty Mm -hmm. handily last night, particularly in that first half. With what you saw from them last night, are you convinced they are back on track to where they were right up through
2: that series against Brooklyn? You know what I do because of their leader, and I'm not talking about Jason Tatum and I'm not talking about Jalen Brown. I'm talking about Ime Udoka. When your team responds the way that the Celtics responded in game two after being punked in game one, that's a reflection of the coach. That tells me that Ime Yudoka walked in the film room and held everyone accountable, including the superstars. The way that Jalen Brown attacked that first half, that was a reflection of Ime Yudoka. And this season, every time the Celtics go through adversity or has had went through adversity, they bounce back in great fashion, and it's because of Ime Yudoka. We got standing in the East, Miami Sixers, game
0: two tonight, Perk. Have you ever seen a fall-off like the one James Harden appears to be going through right now?
2: You know what? The last time I seen this type of fall-off was somewhat of Allen Iverson a little bit. But here's the thing. I keep giving James Harden chance after chance. And my grandmother called me the other day, and she said, why? Why? God bless your heart, baby. You don't know no better. He's not the same, Kendrick. And I said, you know what, Granny? You're right. He's not. And I think we got to accept that. You know, I, I was looking for the James Harden to come out and prove us all wrong. I thought James Harden was going to turn back the hands of time Until I saw him switch, until I saw him call up a screen with Tyler Hero, and, and Tony and Wilborn, he couldn't get past Tyler Hero. No disrespect to Tyler Hero, but he's not a elite defender. And so when I saw he couldn't get separation and things to that nature, I said, we have to accept this James Harden. And Granny was absolutely right. Let me follow
0: up with that real quick. Perk, can he be as effective as a playmaker? Can he find a new, I hate to say role, but can he evolve into like the Supreme Playmaker and have a similar impact on the game?
2: No, no. And and look, that's not why he went to Philly. He didn't go to Philly to be a facilitator or a guy that uh, you know, find a role to help guys get involved. No. Philly actually acquired him to come there and be a a, a superstar alongside Joe L and B. We all thought that James Harden was just fooling us and tricking us like he did in Houston to get out of Brooklyn to get to Philly. But, no, I'm starting to believe this is him. And, no, they, look, Philly cannot accept James Harden being a facilitator. And they're expecting him to give him, give him a lot of money this summer. It can't happen.
1: Let me just say that next week we're going to get your grandmother on the show along with you because we like your (laughs) grandmother at the moment. And I'll get you out of here on this. I'll move to the the game that Wilbon cares about, the Mavericks and the Suns. They play game two tonight. Jason Kidd wants another Dallas player beyond Luka Doncic to join the party. Like I look up and down that roster. I don't see that player, not on a consistent basis, but Wilbon does. What do you see?
2: is it, what I see is, is that Phoenix is going to beat Dallas in four or maybe five games. And it's because of their style of play. Luka could go for 40. Jalen Brunson could go for 20. Defensively, the Phoenix Suns are tied together like shoelaces, and they're too good. And then here's the thing. The way that the Dallas Mavericks plays, right, you think about this Mavericks team. They like to go small, and they like to expose the center. We saw that last series with the Utah Jazz. You can't do that with DeAndre Ayton. And the Phoenix Suns will make you pay. And their center actually could beat you on the offensive end. DeAndre Ayton actually could win the game for the Suns, putting up 30 points and 10 or 15 rebounds. So unless the Dallas Mavericks are going to pull a center out of nowhere, they actually they out of there for this series. They have no chance to compete with the Phoenix Suns. He's so right. I said to Wilbon, it's a five-game
0: series, and Wilbon's always, oh, it'll be six. Oh, oh, it'll be six. Stop. Thanks,
2: Ken. I think <laughs> Brunson,
0: big game yes. from Brunson tonight, Chicago's zone, but I agree with Perk. Look, I hope he's right. I'm in the desert. Where we want the Suns to win out here. Don't get me wrong now.
2: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Perk. Appreciate Let's you. Appreciate
1: it, my good brothers. Thanks for having me. Let's take one last break. Still to come, the Penguins and the Rangers, they go three OTs.
0: And did Madison Bumgarner deserve to get tossed after getting into it with an ump? So it's more than just NBA players player. just don't NBA want
1: to understand.
3: Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L E C T R I C ebikes.com Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And...
1: Happy time, people. Happy 75th birthday, Butch Beard. History lesson, kids. Beard played guard at Louisville with Wes Unsell. In 1969, Beard was the 10th overall pick in the NBA draft by Atlanta. He was an all-star once and played on an NBA championship team in 1975 in Golden State with Rick Barry. Beard played for nine years in the NBA with five different teams, averaged about nine points, three rebounds, four assists. After the NBA, Beard went into coaching. He took Howard to the NCAA tournament in 1982. Coached the New Jersey Nets for two seasons, then went back to college coaching at Morgan State. Well, Bon, you knew Beard at Howard, right?
0: Yes, at Howard, and subsequently, you know, coaching. I think he was an assistant with the Bullets or Wizards, whatever they were named for one year. Just one of those guys, Tony. You could sit and if you shut up and take out a notebook, you could learn so much from Butch Beard. Just following him as a beat writer was like a masterclass. It was great.
1: Happy anniversary, Albert Pujols. On this day four years ago, Pujols got his 3,000th hit. He was playing for the Angels at the time, but will always be most associated with the Cardinals, where he started and now will end his career. In his first 10 years in St. Louis, Pujols had 445 home runs, 1,329 RBI, and he batted 328. Stunning numbers that earned comparisons to Babe Ruth. Pujols is back in St. Louis this year. He's got two homers and five RBI. All told, he's got 681 home runs and 3,310 hits. He needs just six hits to pass Eddie Collins for 11th place all time in hits,
0: and 10 hits to pass Paul Molitor for 10th place. These are the baseball numbers that matter, and his were a whole lot like Lou Gehrig. People can sit down, look at baseball encyclopedia, line for line, like Gehrig. Happy
1: trails to game one for the Rangers. It took three overtimes, but Evgeny Malkin's goal, five minutes, 58 seconds into the third, gave the Penguins a 1-0 lead in their series with the Rangers. And aren't we glad there's no shootout in the playoffs? Igor Shesterkin made 79 saves for the Rangers, but mm. Penguins' backup goalie Louis Domingue got the win with 17 saves. Domingue came in from Casey DeSmith in the second overtime. Domingue hadn't expected to play because he'd only played in two games this season. Domingue spent the break between the first two overtimes eating a bowl of spicy pork and broccoli that was meant for the postgame meal, and I'm quoting here, it's not great, Domingue said later. In other hockey news, Barry Melrose got it right. The Capitals beat
0: Florida in game one of their series. Also, another Barry picked the avalanche, won big, and Edmonton plays tonight, needing to win for certain tone. Edmonton's got to win game two.
1: Let's go to the big finish if we could. Let's do it. Madison Bumgarner got ejected this afternoon after saying something to an umpire following a foreign
0: substance check. Your thoughts? The umpire doesn't appear to really look at Bumgarner's hand to see about the substance. I, I don't understand. The Seahawks and Buccaneers will play in the NFL's first regular season game in Germany. Does that matter? They're sending Tom Brady to Germany? Really? They're not letting him play? They're sending him to Germany? Tyler Hero won the Sixth Man of the Year award. Is that okay by you? Yeah, Kevin Love got a few votes, but that could have been unanimous. It was heroes to award to have, Tom. The Yankees beat the Blue Jays again last night. of won 11 straight. They're going to sweep the Jays tonight? No, the Jays are really good. They're at home, right? I don't believe they're going to lose them all. I don't. Last one, will the Heat and the Suns both win again tonight? The Heat should win, Tom. I know you and Perk are solid on the Suns in a four-game or max five. I think Dallas is going to rebound. Suns win the series, but I don't, I'm worried about tonight. Worried. We're out of time. We'll try to do better the next time. I'm Tony Corner. And I'm Mike Wilbon. Same time tomorrow, knuckleheads. And now, here's SportsCenter. Center. I may go to that game Worry too much we'll see about, you about Phoenix. That.